So the mentality shift and the tools with which we use to engage and to monitor productivity and to keep inspiration and energy high, it's a whole other kind of work stream or challenge alongside the shift that, uh, you know, practitioners like myself, we're all working through, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we don't have answers yet. We're all kind of resetting our leadership chops to this everywhere environment. The recession is going to shine a light on those big empty buildings. Um, and the shareholders are going to be saying, okay, what are we going to do about this? Oddly, I mean, who would have thought the trigger may be when their leases are coming due. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Coffin. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. And this is a really special episode. Uh, we want to also thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. I'm Ira Wolf. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We're the voice of the most important, crucial conversations that are confronting business leaders and people today. Our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the impact and convergence of business, technology, and people. Jason, we can certainly check off all those boxes today as we tackle one of the most hotly debated workplace topics or workforce topics, remote work. To help you understand and make sense of what's going on, we've brought together three of our favorite workplace thought leaders, Kate Lister, Jeff Abbott, and Gad Levinen. I can't wait, Ira. And once again, this episode of Geek Skeezers Googleization is sponsored by our partners at Y Institute, your personal and professional GPS for a meaningful life and purpose-filled career. We're going to forego our usual Geek Skeezers and Googleization traditions, uh, our rift between Jason and myself, and including the Perfect Labor Storm segment. Uh, we'll get back to that in a future episode. But in order to get right to our uh, panel of experts, uh, we are excited to welcome today Kate Lister. Kate is the president of Global Workforce Analytics and an internationally recognized authority on remote work. Jeff Abbott, who is the CEO of Avanti Incorporated, a leading cybersecurity company and an expert on the impact of everywhere work on IT security and the digital employee experience. And uh, Gad Levinen, who is the chief Econ uh, economist at Burning Glass Institute, a renowned expert on labor markets and workforce trends. So without further ado, we're going to bring everybody back onto the GGG stage. Welcome, Kate. Good welcome, Gad. And welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Obviously, there's a lot of people that uh, signed up for this. So there's a lot of people that are really, really interested. Uh, every single day, we seem to have another, uh, you know, uh, again, uh, I won't say a crisis, but uh, another CEO seems to say, hey, everybody's coming back in the workplace and so forth. That hasn't worked out. So we're going to get your opinions on that. Let's start with a brief intro uh, from each of you. Uh, I've already identified what your company is. Um, but let's talk a little bit about what I guess what surprised you most in the last two to three years with the how employers and employees have re responded to, I guess, the opportunity to work remotely. 
So let, Kate, let's start with you. I guess the, the biggest thing initially was how well it went. You know, I would typically spend six months to a year working with a client to get them ready for, you know, any level of remote work. And that overnight it worked, but not quite. So <laughs> I'm still employed. Um, and then sort of three years in, just how much leaders are still in denial uh, that it's going to go back to the old way. And for reasons that are not supported or actually refuted by research and science. Hey, Jeff, I'm going to jump to you because uh, I, I forgot to mention Avanti and Jeff, you are now part of our GGG Unleashed uh, series and your first one just came out. And that's exactly what you talked about is we're not going back to normal. So no. what a good segue. Thank you, Kate. Yeah. And I could not agree more with Kate. She, she stole the first thought that came to my head, which is it went extraordinarily well. In fact, I commented at one point in late 2020 that this is probably the, uh, the most unified human uh, cooperation in recorded history. The entire world was just unified and, and behaved pretty well in terms of not only getting vaccinated, but moving them to the remote workforce during the pandemic. I also agree with Kate that it is baffling to me that my colleagues in the IT industry even, you know, have tried a forced march in some cases and really paid a dear price for it in terms of talent voting with their feet and, and moving on. And, and let's face it, the, the last year and a half has shown us that the, the war on talent is on and, choice in terms of where we work from and how we do our work is absolutely near the top of the list in terms of how people are, are ranking their opportunities. And we're all having to adjust. And some, I think, are leaning into that choice that, that employees and, and the workforce wants and others, as Kate said, are in denial. And it's, it's, it's amazing to me, but I'll personally capitalize on it as people try to kind of screw in an old school mentality into the, the contemporary workforce, it's not going to work. Hey, Gad, you are our labor force, our labor market expert. Uh, you slice and dice the data in ways that are unimaginable. Um, so what surprised, I guess, what surprised you and what are some of the trends that that you've seen now over the last, even the last few weeks or few months uh, with some of the newer data that's, uh, you know, kind of surprised you or struck you uh, as super interesting? Well, I, I think, uh, so the chain, the kind of the micro change is that more workers in a company are working from home, but that change has led to other related changes. So for example, um, people are quitting their jobs much more than they used to. And I think that part of it is because they have more options than they used to. They are not constrained to the employers in their own metro area. They can get a job in other places. Um, the donut effect, the, the fact that people stopped commuting to uh, city centers, shifted a lot of the food services and shopping and other industries to where people live instead of in uh, city centers. So that's another uh, big trend. So there are some kind of major changes that would make it very difficult to return to the old ways. People are moving, uh, companies are hiring in outside the metro areas. Um, so it will be very almost irreversible. But, but I would say um, that we are still at a very early uh, part of the game. I think how all of this plays out 
uh, will take years to figure out. Uh, and I, I think eventually it will come down to, you know, within an industry, some companies will have a very flexible model of remote work, some will have less. And who um, succeeds more in the market, uh, uh, that will determine the, the kind of uh, long run remote work policy. So I think we, we had a big change. It was better than expected. It will be hard to reverse, but it's not the end of the game yet, I think. I just wanted to also let all our listeners know, whether you're listening or watching, uh, if you have a comment, if you have a question, uh, please post them in your comments, uh, in, in the comment sections. Uh, we will get most of them. Uh, if you have a question, we'll try to address that. And uh, we have an opportunity with uh, three of our favorite thought leaders. We can we can pick their brains while they're here. Kate, Gad brought up, uh, you know, a, you know, certainly about the, not only the preferences, but the you know a little bit on the office space and, and people coming back. But you had a really, really interesting source. I don't know if this was your data or somebody else's or a comment uh, maybe two, three months back in the newsletter. And I constantly cite it. The cost to to work from home, the cost of commuting or the cost to work from home is twice as much to go back to the office than to commute as it is to stay at home. And especially, you know, with the concerns about inflation, the concerns, cost of gas, you know, cost of everything has gone up. That seems to be one aspect that, you know, employers who are bringing people back is just overlooking. But do you want to, can you share a little bit more about th that data and what you've seen since then? Yeah, um, it, it, it kind of surprises me before the pandemic, even during how many, the percentage of people that said that they would quit if they weren't allowed to continue the kind of flexibility. Uh, it, it's been running typically in the 35 to 40%. And yet now that they're at home, they're wanting their employer to pay their heating and their um, food and their coffee and all of that. Uh, it, you know, I think they have to remember how much they're saving, but it's not how much that really counts. I mean, that's kind of like a, a, a kind of a far back secondary reason that they're really enjoying home. It's it's the time that they save, and a typical employer loses or employee loses eleven days um, in playing in traffic, and that's just for half time remote work. Um, you know, it's just it's a lifestyle thing. Uh, yeah, the cost is going to become more important, and I think even uh, more so to the employer, uh, the, the recession is going to shine a light on those big empty buildings. Um, and the shareholders are going to be saying, okay, what are we going to do about this? Oddly, I mean, who would have thought the trigger may be when their leases are coming due. So during the pandemic, only about 30% of leases uh, came due. And even that, you know, early on, nobody knew what was going on. We all thought we were going back in three months. Um, and so we're going to see play out, uh, as Gad said, over the next five to seven years with the remainder of those leases uh, as they come up. The employers are going to say, OK, now we have to make a decision. Okay, let's let's go down that rabbit hole a little bit further because and then I want Gad and, and Jeff to uh, chime in, too, on this. Kate, you just yesterday, I believe it was, posted something about a report that came out from Cushman and Wakefield on office space in the future. And I was floored by the findings. 
1.1 billion square feet of office space by 2030 is expected to be vacant. I guess my question for you is, what do we do yeah. with that vacant space? Are there ways to reimagine it to make it part of total rewards programs for employees where you convert it into gyms, coffee shops? What do we do to prepare for this? Well, we kind of got ourselves into a pickle by allowing the downtown areas to be so singular focused on office. Um, you know, if it was office, retail, cultural, home, you know, living, it, it, the, the crisis wouldn't have hit them so hard. And I think that's where it's going to go. It's going to go back to, or it's going to um, go to a kind of a live, work, play environment. And there are some companies that are specializing in the conversion of um, uh, office to residential, but it's not easy. Uh, it's particularly not easy in some of the, the uh, more modern buildings, but that's kind of good because there's a flight out of the uh, grade B and C level buildings and into the A level buildings. So those are the ones that are going to be empty. But we have to remember they were pretty vacant before the pandemic. Uh, occupancy studies around the world over and over and over again showed that offices were only 50 to, to 40 to 50% occupied during the day. So people had already left the building, <laughs> you know, even before the pandemic. And so if you add now that only about 45 to 50% are back at any frequency, that means there's only about 25% pe of people there. I mean, it's a ghost town. And that's one of the things that employers are having trouble with. How do we get, if we get people to come in to sit here and be on Zoom calls, they're not going to want to come in. And so if Elvis has left the building, Jeff, I'm going to send it over to you. If Elvis has left the building as a CEO of a company, are these conversations happening at Avanti where you're starting to try and put some plans in place and wrestle with this concept of what you're going to do with your physical footprint? Yeah, hundred uh, percent, Jason. And in fact, uh, we started, we started this analysis in parallel uh, to monitoring uh, employee traffic in our offices about six months ago. So starting last May, uh, at Avanti, we held a series of events called Homecoming, right? And it was more or less little parties in every one of our offices to try and draw traffic back to the offices. We made it voluntary. We allowed them to do themes. There was a disco theme and a, a prom theme, believe it or not. I mean, they had fun with it, right? Of course, be, because the company paid for some catering and some, uh, some uh, bar tabs and so on. But anyway, my expectation was that after that, we'd start to see a cycle of increasing uh, you know, traffic in the offices. It didn't happen. We're still uh, seven to eight percent occupied in our 30 office locations around the world. And that's consistent around the world. Um, so uh, I talked to our facilities, you know, my head of facilities and said, let's line out all the leases to Kate's point. Let's look at the timing and start planning. We have a fiduciary responsibility on this and it doesn't make sense to maintain this cost. That person backed me up a little bit and said, well, it's summertime. Let's let's wait and see in the fall when everybody goes back to school and so on. Did not change. Went down even further. So we're in the process now of phase one of phasing out some space, including our headquarters, which is five full floors for about 350 employees in Salt Lake City, Utah. We're going down to one and a half floors. Now, interestingly, Kate, a side product of that move is employees are like, well, wait, wait a minute. Is the company in trouble? No, the company's not in trouble. I, mm -hmm. I'm telling you, I've told you a year ago, we have to monitor you know, traffic and, and make a, a, a responsible financial uh, uh, move to take this cost out. So it's funny, 
you know, people are definitely settling in to the everywhere workplace. But yet when you start to, you know, make moves to your question, Jason, on moving, you know, lowering cost in kind, they get nervous. So it's an interesting dynamic you have to, to manage to. In fact, I'll be headed out to Salt Lake in, the, in about a month to do a town hall meeting with those employees to kind of make sure they understand everything's fine, but we're going to start saving money. It's $2 million a year, yeah. right? It's real money. Jeff, are you doing anything uh, to uh, reconfigure the offices to accommodate you know, more of the work that's going to be done there? Yeah, hundred percent. Absolutely. So uh, the other thing is we have a, we have a gym in the lobby of that building that was exclusively for the company. And we're now, we're, we're now considering opening it up to the other tenants in the building and perhaps create, cause that was just, a cost we were bearing. Let's now perhaps create some $5 a month memberships for the other tenants or something like that because it's being unused. It's beautiful, beautiful space is being unused. But to your point, the main floor, we are completely reconfiguring. There will only be about maybe 15, 20% will be dedicated space to the teams that need it, that are coming in regularly. And again, we're measuring statistically who's coming in. Uh, but the rest of the space is going to a very open concept, very hotel oriented. And to the point earlier about uh, you know, people wanting some some cost offset from working from home. As we're evaluating leasing or uh, subleasing space and reducing our footprint, we're allowing employees to come in and and kind of grab whatever they want in terms of monitors and the and the you know monitor arm bars and so on, so that they can trick out their own home offices with the best uh, gear and equipment. And that's gone really well. When they heard that opportunity, they were in there fast, right? Uh, so there are there are measures we're taking to to kind of lean into the employees as we make these changes in real estate. And Gad, to you uh, with this trend, with the physical footprint and office space, any research as well that's coming out from Burning Glass Institute on what this is looking like for the future? Well, we did uh, write on it yet, but there has been a lot of uh, written on it, and and you know, in some sense. The invisible hand of the market is uh, going to take care of a lot of it. Uh, you know, if uh, real estate cost in uh, city centers in large metro areas, uh, if, if um, they are empty, then uh, their prices will go down. And then, um, you know, some offices of, of like, let's say, uh, secondary companies who Let's say in the New York area, they were headquartered in New Jersey or uh, in uh, upstate New York. Uh, now they can afford to move into New York City. Uh, so, so we'll see some of that. We'll perhaps see some conversion uh, from uh, office buildings to residential, although it's easier said than done. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll probably see, uh, we're already seeing some, some of that. Um, so I think, uh, you know, the, the prices, uh, they will adjust to the new demand and supply and uh, the market will react that way. You know, one of the other things I was reading the other day is that some companies have problems because they're going to lose big uh, tax credits if they move or if they reduce their uh, city workforce. So, you know, if they were given tax credits to to uh, build a headquarters in a certain area, you know, they get paid those after the fact, like after three years. And the conditions typically are that they have to have X percentage of their employees working in those spaces. So JP Morgan, for example, stands to lose a, a great deal of uh, tax breaks if, it, uh, if they can't get their people to come back in. 
that that's interesting because over the last week there was a whole lot of headlines as you know Amazon uh, you know announced that they're going to you know require people to come back and then the whole business community applauded because now their businesses will thrive again um, <laughs> but that also means that the people actually have to come back uh, and they come back on a regular basis and they're coming back on a five day a week basis and they're going to eat out lunch which goes back to what I brought up to you before Kate is, is that when you when you account for the cost of commuting cost to get there whether it's public transportation or private uh, and then the co the cost for lunch and going out or doing whatever you do is that was substantially more than staying at home obviously people still need to eat and they do things but uh, with the cost of gas you know basically sky you know going up quite a bit in the past and and public transportation costs going up and and just the cost of going out to eat or grabbing a sandwich or grabbing a soda, you know, sodas used to be, you know, 50 cents or a dollar. Now they're three. Uh, so there's, there's so many, uh, so many dynamics going on. Uh, kind of a, a theme behind all this as you were talking and, and Jeff, you're talking, your, your headquarters is in Salt Lake city. We, we hear about all these hubs and we all, and we're online and we're probably on, on high speed broad, a bandwidth today or broadband. Um, but there's, there's a lot of, areas of the country that still don't have access to that. There's a lot of people who don't have access to effectively work remotely. So Gad, you had a, re and then I want to get the comments from Kate and Jeff on this, but Gad, you had a really interesting uh, post uh, last week or two weeks ago about the geography of where people are moving. And some of that was, some of it was related to red and blue states, but some of it was related to the industries that are there. But again, another factor was the availability of bandwidth. Because some of the people are commenting is that, hey, we live 50, 50 miles outside in a rural area. And, you know, they're, they're getting their internet off of a, of a dish uh, antenna. <laughs> so, uh, so it's struggling. So, Gad, if you can comment on that, and then I'd lo love to hear Kate and Jeff's uh, responses to it. You know, in the grand story of the shift to remote work, there is a lot of variability by location. So some states and metro area have very high shares of remote work and some have much uh, lower. And it's like, not, not entirely clear what's driving this. I think one thing for sure is what happened during the pandemic. You know, the areas that were more shut down, uh, they, their people got used to working from home for like a year, a year and a half when everyone was doing this. Whereas there are some areas that maybe people were home for two months and then they were straight back at the office. So they didn't, cre didn't create this new habit of working from home. So I think some of it will remain uh, permanent, those, those gaps. Um, there's of course like the, the industry and occupational mix, not every job uh, lends itself to, to remote work. But I think there's a very interesting uh, variability across states and, and metro areas it, and some of it i think will will be permanent aren't we, aren't we focused i mean you have these numbers it's about 40 percent of jobs that can be remote it's over 60. i mean if you look at the, at the percentage of people that did it during the pandemic uh the numbers uh, over 60 percent and of course, you know, as Gad says, that it's very different across geography, across industries. But you know, in total, that's that's what it comes to. But but we're talking about, you know, and again, I think it's maybe forty percent of the jobs, but there may be a lot of people in those particular jobs. But there's certain jobs that have 
people have to show up for work, you know, either because we don't have the technology or we won't have the technology for a while. I mean, you know, healthcare, some manufacturing, we still have to construction workers, uh, the trades. I mean, they, they, they're not sending robots. Uh, teachers. Teachers. Yeah. To, well, to, to the top two occupations in the country, teachers, truck drivers. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, truck drivers, we may be looking at. Yeah. Not yet. Not uh, yet. Not, yeah, exactly. Not yeah, yet. Not yet. Um, and and I, it's important for companies to that have like a mixed um, uh, in, a worker profile. So, you know, some people are in office, some people are in the field um, that they that there's something in it for everyone because we can't create this uh, divide of the haves and the have nots. And were we talking to a company prior to the pandemic, it wouldn't just be about remote work. It would have been a bit about compressed work week, four day work week, uh, part-time sabbaticals, staggered end times, staggered start times, staggered break times, something, you know, people just want some control of over their day. In fact, they want control over the, the time that they work even more than they want uh, control over where they work. Um, and, and quite, and, and oddly, uh, I'm finding employers are more resistant to that. Uh, to to allowing the go outside of that nine to five, some companies have moved to uh, like a you know let's, between ten and two, let's all be available or whatever the the collective time zones dictate, uh, and then you know your flexibility so you can do the rest of your life uh, in those other times along uh, along with work. Um, you know I think that that's going to win out. And Kate, one of the solutions that's being posited right now to help with that flexibility with the time seems to be the the four day work week, thirty uh, two hour work week. Yeah. In fact, in in the research that you did with with Owl Labs, along with uh, your organization, Global Workplace Analytics, if I remember right, it was up to around ninety percent of employees indicated an interest in exploring the ability to do the four day, thirty two hour work week. Is that gaining steam? Do you see that as a plausible uh, way of providing more of that flexibility that's desired here in the yeah. U.S.? Yeah, there was a big pilot in the U.K., uh, and uh, I forget how many companies were involved. I don't know, Gad, do you? It was, I think it was maybe, I'm not, I'm not even going to say. But a number of companies, including big companies and, and including companies in the U.S., uh, did a, a six-month trial for this, and uh, none of them stopped it after the six month trial, at least as an option, you know, not everybody did it, but it, as, as least, cause, cause you know, there are difficulties with that too. You, you, can you get childcare, you know, four days a week? Uh, is it going to be the same day a week? Uh, there, there's a lot of sense to it in terms of sustainability. Uh, if you can literally shut down that building uh, on uh, one of the days a week, and if you can provide some productive or some predictability to food services and restaurants and, you know, all of the surrounding retail, uh, that would, I think that would improve things. Uh, so yeah, I, I, it's, there's not a one size fits all. It should be, I think, a suite of flexibility and, and a whole mindset of flexibility. I think the interesting, um, phenomenon we haven't all thought through yet. And, and I'm, you know, as a kind of a practitioner of the, of the everywhere workplace, I'm dealing with this now, is the required change in leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, you're now having to manage not only your direct reports, but your extended teams entirely remotely. You may hire and never meet the people you work with. 
right? Um, so the mentality shift and the tools with which we use to engage and to monitor productivity and to keep inspiration and energy high, it's a whole other kind of work stream or challenge alongside the shift that, uh, you know, practitioners like myself, we're all working through, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we don't have answers yet. We're all kind of resetting our leadership chops to this everywhere environment. Martha Johnson F, uh, was the head of the USGSA when uh, they were transforming their uh, headquarters building in downtown Washington uh, to activity-based working and nobody was gonna have an assigned desk and there was gonna be a lot of remote work. And it, it was a very successful pilot program. And uh, she said later in the, um, you know, after there was some experience with it is that telework, the word they use, telework doesn't create management problems, it reveals them. And so, you know, <laughs> I just, I love that, you know, the pandemic didn't create these problems. It revealed that we weren't managing people by results, that we weren't equipping managers to manage. You know, we were just promoting somebody from a position because they'd been there for a while and now they were a manager, but they really didn't have the skills to do that. Uh, we were babysitting, essentially, you know, by uh, heads in, uh, you know, butts in seats, heads in seats. <laughs> um, uh, mentality. You know, we didn't know where our people were working, uh, really. Where were, where were those other 50% of people that weren't in the building? Um, just on and on and on. We, we hadn't digitized so many things that the, the, the pandemic brought light to. Uh, interestingly, too, and, and I've talked to, to Ira and Jason about this, um, this contemporary workforce is now measuring culture higher than ever before right and purpose in the work higher than ever before this is this is not a, a workforce that is entirely tied to paychecks and promotions right you you get a taste for with the remote work uh the flexibility that you have in your own personal life and create more balance and then you start thinking i really want to make sure i'm connected to this organization right you get that much more um naturally kind of you know in the in the office environment you can pick up the vibe right but when you are remote, that's difficult. So the evaluation that, that the individual worker is now kind of placing on the company they work for is, is like never before. We've done some research on it and there, you know, the stack rank is culture is very high, pay and vacation time, et cetera, is starting to drop, right? Because the flexibility they now have as remote workers. And the government is highly interested in this too, right? I mean, just this last October, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services and the U.S. Surgeon General issued their their framework for mental health in the workplace because of how concerning it is and how many people aren't finding mattering or purpose in their work and that it's actually having a detrimental impact on their overall health and well-being. Um, Gad, I'll, I'll kick it off with you this time as we kind of explore this side of wellness in the workplace and culture. Um what are some of the, the scary things, maybe we'll start off with, that you're seeing in, in some of the, the labor data when it comes to how employees are feeling about their employers right now, even if they, they might be working remotely? Yeah, so, so there has been, I mean, during the pandemic, employers were actually, or during, I would say, the, the beginning of the pandemic, employers were relatively... Uh, supportive uh, i mean it was kind of like a feeling of uh, we're all in it together 
uh, and uh, job satisfaction rates were actually quite high. But uh, after that, I think when things come uh, come to uh, back to normal, uh, the job satisfaction goes back to normal. Uh, and I think on on top of that, there is especially among uh, young workers, there is a real uh, mental health crisis right now. Uh, the share, for example, of uh, of people between the ages of uh, 19 or 18 to 21 that report a weekly depression episode is twice as high as it was a decade ago and higher than any other age group. A decade ago, it was the lowest of any age group. Um, so, so I think, uh, um, you know, and that partly because of the pandemic, partly because of uh, the young generation is addicted to uh, social media. Uh, there are a lot of issues uh, related to that, but uh, there's definitely a deterioration in well-being. There was an interesting uh, uh, Gallup survey that came out talking about remote work. And they, they looked at on-site workers of what their preferences were and what the impact of burnout and stress and thriving was. Mm-hmm. And there was a di- direct correlation or an inverse correlation um, between the on-site workers, there was a small percentage that wanted to be on-site and they preferred it that way and their mental health and their attitudes and they felt they were thriving. And then as they moved toward hybrid, the lines shifted. So there was less satisfaction, there was less engagement, there was less thriving, more stress and more burnout for those on-site workers who wanted to be at least remote. And then when you went to the, looked at being fully remote, it went completely off the rails because the the people who were were on site who wanted to work remote, there was only a 17% engagement level at work and there was a 65% burnout rate going to the office. They were still working, they just preferred to have either more flexibility or have that option to work remote uh, or work hybrid. And it seems like an easy solution, but the, you know, from some of the leaders, they seem to be, you know, forcing it back and they're getting, you know, pats on the back from the local businesses, which I, you know, always having lived in small communities and understand the importance of businesses, that's a good thing. Uh, but I don't know how we're putting the toothpaste back in this tube. over there. Uh, We've had a couple really, really good questions. Um, This was one I hadn't thought of before, so I want to address it. Um, It comes from, um, Greg, thanks uh, very much for that. I'll just read it here. It's pretty long. And uh, he starts off, I just got off a call with Bob Johansson. I don't know if you're familiar, some of you may be familiar with him, but uh, he he started and founder uh, of the uh, Institute for the Future. Uh, I've quoted him all over my my books over years, as you, I do you, Kate. Um, I, I think I found the white paper, Kate, that you published or, or an article on telecommuting you know, <laughs> like 25 years ago. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, so he, he basically agrees with everything we're doing, but he said he believes there's a major historical transformation occurring right now. And he wanted to know, he talked about generational differences when it comes to the digitization through the flexible work environment. Do you see a generation, a generation gap shrinking or growing through this transition? 
So the fact is that we can work remote. You know, I'm a, a way older baby boomer. Uh, we've got different different generations represented on even on this panel. Do we see the the ability to work remotely closing a generation gap, um, or do we see it, you know, ripping it apart? Um, by the numbers, interestingly, uh, boomers are the high, highest uh, have the highest desire for being in office full-time and the uh, hybrid or I'm sorry, not the hybrid um, millennials have the highest desire to be hybrid and generation X uh, is, was having the hardest time during the pandemic and needed that uh, office time. And if you think about it, I mean, most of us, many of us met our spouses at the office, you know, it's, it's part, it's the part of their, their social life. They've left college. They've, you know, now been thrust into some new environment and they have to get to know it. Uh, the whole mentoring uh, that, that goes on in the hallways and in the elevators, that's something that we have to be very intentional about. It's, it's not going to happen, you know, just by chance and listening in on conversations. It's, it's something that's possible. Uh, with remote work, and and certainly the companies that are fully remote uh, have already conquered it, but it's not it's something that we're going to have to be very intentional about. So the uh, the generational divides I think are interesting, but I think also the um, minority divides uh, are are interesting. Uh, it turns out that minorities um, are uh, have the just a higher desire to work from home. So if you match that with the fact that 70% of managers say that they would um, favor somebody on site for promotions and the, the best assignments and so forth, which you know has been predicted all along. Uh, then what we might actually have is, is a, a greater uh, gap in, uh, or actually lose some ground in diversity uh, because those at home um, won't get the same opportunities as those in the office. Again, it can work. It's just that we have to be very, very careful about thinking about those inequities. Ditto for uh, introverts. I happen to be an introvert. You know, it's just been fabulous the last three years of not having to make up an excuse for why I didn't want to, you know, go out to a bar after <laughs> after work. And that, you know, I'm I'm you know one of probably about half of the population. And we workplaces were built for extroverts, these big noisy places where introverts don't thrive, where a lot of the neurodiverse don't thrive, where the disabled have, have trouble being. And so uh, this is, has this opened up, I think, a, a whole new uh, thought pool uh, by giving people that work remotely a, a way to participate that isn't necessarily barging into a conversation, which Introverts are not uh, uh, good at doing, and, and in some ways, women aren't as good at doing as men. You can put your hand up, your little gold hand in the corner, or you can type something into the chat, or you can use asynchronous documents where you, you, you can think about things before you respond, which is typical of introverts also. They like to think about things. They don't blurt. And, and, and so, you know, whatever we do, I think that, was, that has been progress. Uh, that we need to maintain, that, that, that I think it's important to maintain. And again, a lot of intentionality has to go around that. Kate, I think you teed up Jeff really well. And I, I wanted to get this question in because Jeff, you mentioned uh, about leadership, that we need new, uh, I won't say a new formal leadership, but leadership skills have changed and managing that, which includes creating that culture. 
and and you've talked a lot about the digital employee experience. And even though I was focused on candidate experience and employee experience, really didn't talk think about the the digital employee experience, but that has a huge impact. So you've had some great research and studies, you know, doing that. And, and just to, to, to dovetail on Kate's point, and I think this was from that same newsletter that I quoted before, one November or December, so everybody can go back and look at it, the one about commuting. It's that only, maybe less than half of employers have trained their employees and managers how to work remote. And so the blame becomes, oh, that darn Zoom. Um, you know, it, there's just no good way to have a conversation or a relationship. And yet there's other people that are doing, which means it's possible. You just haven't learned how to do it. Jeff? Yeah, yeah digital experience is, you're right, Ira. And then we, we did recently commission a study on this that it is becoming a, a premium lens with which potential new employees are measuring their options. And, and Gad may have seen some of this in his own research, meaning um, I want to know the tools that I can use at your company. I want to know that I can be on the network from just about everywhere, the, the, the notion of edge computing and edge, edge work. And I want to know that um, you know, my onboarding uh, is smooth and easy, and then I get excellent support when I need it from an IT perspective. And so there's a whole, you know, new kind of uh, sub-industry within the enterprise software business called digital experience platform solutions, which are measuring a company's effectiveness in these various areas. The five of us, when we started our careers, I seriously doubt any one of us asked our potential employer about the digital experience, right? Uh, and hey, how, how good is the, is the IT organization? And is it a pleasant experience and so on? They are now. It is a criteria now, and they're asking, what's it like? And you have to have a score. You have to have some form of, of uh, you know, basis with which to say we're an excellent digital experience company, and we provide the right tools for an excellent remote work experience. So uh, that is part of the adjustment, right? Organizations are having to make. In fact, you know, CIOs and the, and the entire C-suite want to brag now if, if they're good about, hey, if you're looking for an excellent digital experience and, and being able to very easily with a lot of flexibility do your work come here right so it becomes a proof point on what again next the next top 100 great companies to work for it's a criteria now that the next generation workforce and even you know i'll go back to your to your earlier question about generational gaps i actually saw at least from my experience and and it's not entirely a fair comparison to the workforce at large because it has already been in tune with remote working for a long time right um the generations actually kind of came together and bonded in, in during the pandemic for, uh, at Avanti. And I think uh, it was a kind of a kinship and, and different, different methods were established for maintaining culture, like uh, digital rooms for the chess club and digital rooms for the cooking club and, and people uh, stopping at two o'clock on Thursdays to do as many pushups as you could do with your camera on, right? Things like that. So, it's, it's interesting that the, the generations came together to create, you know, new digital culture phenomenons to, to, to create a, a better experience from the from a remote perspective. But but going back to your core point, Ira, yes, uh, digital experience is now becoming a requirement for the remote workforce. And Gad, it looked like you had some some thoughts to share, too, in regard to some of the generational effects uh, of learning how to do remote work well, too. Well, it, it's um it's not so much generational, but 
as a kind of uh, continuing on, on Kate's thoughts, and, and my point here may be a little controversial, so I apologize in advance, but uh, it could be that kind of people will select themselves based on their characteristics into remote work companies versus office, in-office uh, companies. So it, it could be that, you know, people who are extroverts and career-driven will select themselves into uh, in the office companies and introvert and work-life balance people will select themselves into uh, remote companies. Um, so we may have kind of over time two types of uh, the companies that will differ not just in how remote they go, but because of that, they will also differ in the characteristics of the workers uh, working for them. I like that, Gad. You know, I, I tend to think too many times I have conversations with folks outside of work, even just personal connections. And sometimes we talk about what's the preferred temperature inside your house? Because to me, I'm a 67 degree guy. You know, that's that's the sweet spot. That's where I like it. And then I have some people that are like, Jason, you're absolutely nuts. It needs to be 72 or 73. I've got others that are like, no, you need to be down around 62, 63. And so it almost is kind of like, you know, different flavors there, Gad, to your point. I think there is going to be a lot more selection that people have that they, maybe they didn't feel like they had in the past, even though there was opportunity to, to maybe work other places. Remote work has opened up that possibility to work for and with many other organizations um, than ever before to try and do that. One other fascinating question. We've got several that are coming in here, but one I want to get to here is from John Aiden Byrne. Uh, a good friend of ours, and Ira actually does a segment with him um, on his show. He he brought up a question about with remote work, are we starting to surge into this concept of smart cities um, where things are more interconnected? And he said specifically where we're building out the infrastructure in cities for community living, social spaces, smart spaces, uh, mini village ambiences, sports facilities, coffee shops, green spaces, uh, a model of living that could make it easier to launch more companies remote uh, and help support some of those cultures and initiatives. Any opinions or, or things that you've come across around this concept of as we paint the future, what does this look like when we think about the future of work? What does it make the future of our cities look like? Uh, I don't see any of the those smart cities. I mean, I, I see some, but I think it's actually had the opposite effect because nobody knows what's going to happen with cities. Uh, some of the cities that have have had an influx of uh, workers, um, a number of cities in Texas, for example, Austin, uh, um, Atlanta, uh, some of those cities, you know, maybe they are 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 ripe for that kind of transformation and we were already on that course before it has to go that way it it, it, it just has to i mean you know when I, I want the uber driver to know that i have a noon appointment and it's going to take me a half an hour to get there uh because of the feed that he gets from traffic and he'll be at the door and he'll have my lunch order you know <laughs> with all of that connection i think actually it's it's a lot further along than people are ready for. Uh, they found this in uh, the uh, uh, GSK building in the Netherlands 
10, 15 years ago, they were already doing what I was just talking about, you know, putting, directing me to a place in the garage where to put me near where I needed to be for my first meeting, prompting me that I needed to move now to go get to that meeting, putting me in a room that was conducive to concentration because it knew I was working on a presentation that morning and having my caramel macchiato available to me <laughs> um, from the coffee machine. Cause when I walked up to it, it knew that it knew who I was. Um, people weren't quite ready for that. And I'm not sure they still are. There's this whole issue around uh, privacy. And I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a very strong conversation. Um, I did a post on it last week about uh, what we need to learn from grocery stores and how much grocery stores know about us and how willingly we are, uh, how willingly we give away that information. And yet when our employer is going to, to try to gather that information, uh, we go, Ooh, I don't know. Um, I'm not saying we, we shouldn't, but we need to, that, that, that what the grocery store knows about us is, is, is freaking scary, even in an anonymized sense. Um, because they sell that anonymized information and it can be de-anonymized very easily. Um, I won't go on any more about that, but, uh, but back to smart cities, you know, the, the cities like San Francisco, I mean, they're, they're dying. I mean, it, and it's a snowball thing, right? Because we don't have the transportation taxes that funded a lot of city activities uh, that funded public transportation. So now public transportation isn't running as often as it did. There's more crime in these downtown cities and people, so people don't want to come down there, but we don't have the money to fix it uh, because we're not collecting it from the employers who have now moved out. <laughs> uh, so there's a, a, a big snowball effect here, unintended consequences that uh, uh, we really have to work through to, to, to see what's going to happen to cities in the long run. I think the shift to remote work all of a sudden made a few millions of Americans free agents in terms of where they choose to live. Like uh, before that, they were tied down to the metro area where their office was. Now they can live further away or anywhere. And uh, those a few millions in the next several years will decide where they want to settle down. And I think uh, for mayors, uh, especially kind of small, attractive places, I think there will be a competition of uh, who gets those, uh, not all of the millions, but who will get some of those millions. Uh, and uh, yeah, so, and speaking of mayors, it's unrelated, but I was, uh, yes, uh, last week or the week before I was in Fairhaven, Vermont, and I found out that the mayor there is a goat. <laughs> 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 As in, like animal go or the greatest yeah, yeah. of all time. No, no. <laughs> the, the election is open to animals, and they vote wow. for a goat. Yeah. Uh, the, the, does he have an NFT? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that we can purchase. Hey, I can't believe what time it is here because um, I mean, this is just amazing how quickly this is going. We want to continue this conversation uh, as long as we can. And basically through comments. I mean, so this is live on multiple social media platforms. If you have questions, if you want to interact, if you agree or disagree, or if you have a question for, you know, either Kate, Jeff or Gad or Jason or myself, uh, please put them up there. So we'll continue that. Also, uh, I want to uh, give a shout out uh, to Bill Keller, who put a uh, comment in here, and we'll have to address that later about the 40 hour work week. Is this, do you think this is going to change 
that 40-hour work week. It may be decades before the government catches up to what full-time and part-time looks like, but uh, we'll have to deal with that. But Bill is going to be our newest GGG Unleashed partner, a new series uh, Beyond the Office, so appropriate topic, Beyond the Office, Leading Remote Work Teams. He'll be talking about that. Uh, Bill's got an incredible background. I've known him for 20 years. So watch out for that. And then also, um, you know, for those I mentioned it earlier, uh, check out Jeff's GGG Unleashed, the first episode, about talking about why we're not going back to normal. And I think today we we pretty much convinced everybody there's a lot of work to do. We had to figure a lot of things out, but we're definitely not going back to normal. However, uh, before we wrap up today, I want to give kind of close out with our usual question that we we let everybody have. And I think all of you have uh, had this at one time. Um, what for each of you, what is something that we should have asked you, but we didn't? One big change is in the employer's willingness to hire completely uh, to hire outside of their metro areas. And I think that's a big change. We did some research and found that if you look at tech companies in the West Coast, before the pandemic, about uh, 70, 60, 70% of their hires were in the West Coast, and now it's less than 50%. So there was definitely a shift away from the metro areas uh, where they uh, used to hire. Um, And that means that now those very successful tech companies are competing with other employers in many other markets. So that's another uh, big change of the uh, result of the shift to remote work. I think for me, guys, the the question that uh, we, you know, I would have liked to have been asked that, that we need to actually explore as experts even further is, are we truly, yes or no, more productive? Right? And And by what measure are we going to answer that question? Right? The whole idea that there are ways to observe your workforce now from a remote perspective and monitor are they actually on the network and on the systems and doing their jobs is an open question and i I don't have an answer but i I think that is the next area of evaluation as we evolve into a more permanent remote workforce is are we getting the expected productivity well we're going to have you back and hopefully we can have all of you back to talk about that because i have a feeling um, we're, that's going to be an ongoing conversation <laughs> for for quite a while uh, because we weren't very good at measuring productivity before the pandemic. Right. <laughs> I guess for me, it would be uh, where does sustainability fit in all of this? Um, we, we expected to see uh, a decline in vehicle miles traveled that didn't happen, um, that in fact it went up uh, above... Um, the night to 2019 by 2022, I mean, huge down in 2020 and 2021, but back up and even in excess. Um, congestion uh, was reduced, and therefore the greenhouse gas uh, uh, greenhouse gases were reduced. But again, I think we have to go back and, and, and change our thinking about how we travel when we're not commuting. What, what has happened and what was predicted before the pandemic was that because we're not going to and from the office and doing our errands along the way, trip chaining, we're going out and doing this and we're going out and doing that and going out and doing that. And each one of those starts of your car is um, 
uh, more difficult or, or um, more polluting. So, you know, just being conscious of that element of sustainability. And then certainly in terms of we don't need any more commercial office buildings, uh, you know, that they're, they're a huge uh, portion of uh, global warming. So how do we how do we leverage this remote work in a way that allows us to actually reduce the the uh, greenhouse gas output of buildings? Because right now they're sitting open and nobody's using them. We've had a whole slew of additional comments and questions. Uh, we've got to thank everybody for submitting those, but thanks for the panel. I mean, we generated a lot of interest. Uh, this is going to continue for any questions we didn't get answered. Hopefully, um, Kate, Gad, and, and Jeff, you can kind of dive in and, and maybe respond to some of the people. But we'd love to have you back. We're going to we're going to continue to do these about every six to eight, eight weeks. Uh, have special events, and uh, we'd love to have you back. Uh, so let's go around um, uh, again the stage here. Kate, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you to get that newsletter or or to read more things about you? Thank you very much. Globalworkplaceanalytics.com. You'll find a lot of information there. Belong to a group called Workplace Evolutionaries uh, that's very focused on all of this. Uh, I suggest you maybe look that up or, or ping me and I'd be happy to share information. Um, but thank you for the opportunity to be here. It's always fun to talk to you guys. Well, thank you. Jeff? Yeah, I think the best way to to find me or, or to see what Avanti's all about, and this is what we do, we help we help uh, uh, create the the everywhere workplace is avanti.com. And actually, there's a few thought leadership pieces out there on these topics we've been discussing that are they're free to download. So I encourage the, the listeners and the viewers to do that. And thank you, Ira and Jason. It's been a pleasure. And, and don't forget to check out your GGG Unleashed, which That's you can right. find on the Geek Skeezers <laughs> and Googleization feed. So it's very, very easy. You don't even have to get another address. Just if you're listening to this, it's there. Just look it up. I think it was came out last week. So. Gad? Well, I'm, I'm very active in LinkedIn. So uh, I uh, post uh, thoughts and things related to, to, to things that we write at the Glass Institute. So uh, just find me on LinkedIn. That's the best way to follow. Well, thank you to to everyone um, for being here. I, you know, you've got incredibly busy schedules, but so pleased that you took the opportunity to come out and engage in this conversation. And you brought up things that I know I hadn't thought of, and I spend a lot of time trying to figure this out. I'm sure I can speak for Jason in the same way. Um, but from the number of comments and some of the questions, uh, I think our, our listeners will agree. And if you want to catch the replays, you can do that on, on any of the social media, but it'll also be available on the podcast uh, that you'll be able to listen to. So again, thank you guys very much. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly be in touch. I appreciate you being here. Thanks, thank everybody. You. Bye. Thank you. Ira, just when you think you can't peel off any more layers around remote work, I think we peeled off and discovered several more um, today with Kate, Jeff, and Gad. Um, any major takeaways for you today that were kind of like aha moments? Yeah, I think it was, again, I think it was a confirmation. This is really crazy, complicated. It's not complicated. It's complex. Uh, there's so many moving pieces. I mean, just as Kate brought up right at the end about sustainability, you know, how that's going to affect it, uh, about generations, how that's going to affect it. 
Um, but we also, you know, the digital, the digital experience, we didn't even dive into that a lot with, with Jeff. I mean, we, we touched on it. Um, but just, you know, considering that you're bringing people back to the workplace with smartphones and smartwatches, some things, some of these things weren't that readily available just a few years ago. Now everybody walks in with that, which means they're hopping on your network and just the opportunity to in, in, introduce uh, what they really do is traditional, you know, intrusions into their security and their privacy. Um, so that's a whole other event, but you're going to be hearing a lot about that on uh, Jeff's, on the GGG Unleashed series uh, for Protect and Connect. That's right. And for me, I tend to think now a lot of times in terms of viewing the world through the eyes of my kids. I've got four boys, as you well know, that are under the age of nine. And I think as we were talking today about what do the future of cities look like? Our city's going to look totally different and function totally differently from how all of us on the panel today grew up in terms of thinking about cities. I think that's absolutely, I know it's terrifying for some, but I think it's fascinating to think that we may better engineer and design and use space in ways that brings more value to communities. And even though as Kate said, I, I think it's, it's going to be rough in the short term trying to figure things out. I'm very hopeful in the future that uh, this will lead to some wonderful change uh, for communities and cities. But until next time, we want to thank our listeners, Googleization Nation, for tuning in today. If you haven't uh, smashed the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform, we'd love for you to do that. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Until next time, I'm Jason Cochran signing off. And I'm Ira Wolf. Special thanks to the Y Institute for helping us sponsor this episode. Thank you for again for being part of Googleization Nation. And until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans.